Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. To my successor, whoever he or she may be. Number one, stay close to the Americans. Stick up for the Ukrainians. Stick up for freedom and democracy everywhere. Politics in general has taken total legal defenses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. It won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up on today's show, double trouble. The UK's inflation rate soars to over 10% in July. The price of food has skyrocketed. That's one of the main factors driving up price rises. We'll break down the economic and political consequences with our economics and government reporter Lizzie Burden and our opinion columnist Marcus Ashworth as well. Plus, the candidates are on tour after Scotland on Tuesday. Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak heading to Northern Ireland today to take part in the next Conservative Party hustings in Belfast. To get a sense of the issues the candidates should be discussing, we'll speak to Matthew O'Toole, who leads the opposition SDLP in Northern Ireland's Assembly. Well, inflation has reached double digits, a new 40-year high for the Consumer Price Index. It hit 10.1% in July. That's adding to pressure on household budgets. The government says no new support measures will be announced until the Tory leadership contest ends in September. The Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, Kit Malthouse, has defended this position. A meeting just last week with Nadim Zawi, Chancellor Shekhar, to talk about the different elements of of the economic package that might be available to a prime minister while the current 37 billion flows out, so they're able to make decisions quickly. Now, the Labour Party has proposed a freeze on the energy price cap that's expected to jump in October. We'll find out by how much next week. Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper has criticised inaction by the government while they wait for that Conservative Party leadership contest to play out. We've got to take that action to support families right across the country who are otherwise going to be hit by another £1,000 on their energy bills. That is just wrong. Government needs to act. A Labour government would act. We're urging the Conservatives to stop faffing around. Now, inflation has been driven by price rises of essentials like bread and eggs with pet food, toilet rolls and deodorant also getting more expensive. Mick Fleming runs a food bank in Burnley and he's been speaking about the impact that he's seen from price rises. It's dire, but what he's doing is he's creating a new poor and uh, that's something that's very frightening. Because when you've got people that are actually working but can't sustain a month-to-month lifestyle just just by eating, getting to work, travelling there, uh, we're in trouble. Research by the think tank Centre for Cities identifies Burnley as one of the hardest hit places in the UK by inflation. Well, we've been delving into the inflation numbers and the political implications with Bloomberg's EMEA economics and government correspondent Lizzie Burden and opinion columnist Marcus Ashworth. Alex Webb and I spoke to them a little earlier. Um, well, there's, it's hard to be anything other than ouch, isn't it? There is going to be some noise, though, because if you actually look through some of the data, particularly on food and especially on, on actually on uh, petrol prices, 
We're going to see a downtick next month and probably the month after that as well, only to be met with another wave, tsunami wave, obviously from the off-gem uh, price cap lift on, on energy prices in, in October. So, you know, it's one of these sorts of things, you know, you don't want to be a central banker here, do you, really? But I think the, the read across, especially from that very strong Labour data yesterday as well, is that it puts the Bank of England in, in, in some senses, it makes their task easy because they're going to have to hike, I think, almost certainly 50 basis points now. And whereas before I would have probably said they would have done 25, but I think they've got to go 50 uh, in September. Lizzie, does this is seems like a fairly game changing readout for the Bank of England? Where where are their expectations before this, and how are they likely to have shifted now? Yeah, uh, well, they had seen inflation peaking at thirteen percent in October, so that might have might be even higher now that we're already into double digits. Bloomberg Economics, our in-house economists, has ch- have changed their base case. So they now do see 50 basis points in September, agreeing with Marcus. Uh, and the former Monetary Policy Committee member, Andrew Sentence, has been on the airwaves this morning saying that the key rate may need to rise to 3 to 4% because policymakers have fallen behind the curve. I mean, it's an easy choice, but it's also going to have difficult consequences because remember that rate hike, the jumbo rate hike in August, the Bank of England warned that it was going to lead to this long, shallow recession. And so another jumbo hike in September is going to deepen this crisis even more. Marcus, we're looking at the the bond market reaction with the yield curve inversing the most since 2008. As we mentioned, is this a big shock given the nature of the numbers and what are the broader implications of that? Yeah, I don't know quite what the broader... I never really quite understand why people get so excited about the yield curve inversion because clearly what's happened here is is that this is a surprise for everyone, including the front end of the market, that these numbers are quite so strong and they basically, I think, as I said, they were getting ready for this with the Labour data yesterday. So... It's if you look at the curve, it's not actually inverted from threes outwards so much as 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 you know fairly standard. It's just this short end move where they're where repricing. I think that I think as Lizzie's pointing to, it's going to be quite difficult for the Bank of England to continue to to hike interest rates at quite such a pace. And though we may end up a little bit higher than perhaps we would have thought, I still think they're going to struggle to get to three percent or, or or close because the economy. Uh, will not handle it, and they will have also done as bad as much they probably can. But you know, the longer this goes on, the the harder it is to defend these types of positions because you know clearly the Bank of England is having to do what it doesn't want to do necessarily. But it, it's very clear that with this sort of strength, it's only zero point two above what their own forecast is. But nonetheless, I think just the significance of of ten percent is going to lead through to a lot more uh, aggressive wage negotiations and uh, people putting prices up in shops and, and businesses because. You know, it's more than 10% inflation and therefore there's your excuse. And that will clearly feed through to innovation expectations. Lizzie, is this going to focus minds in the Tory leadership race, the other half of where, you know, the policy response to this could come from? Yeah, we had more hustings in Scotland last night. The two candidates having to respond to Keir Starmer's proposals to free to continue the windfall tax and freeze energy bills over the winter. Sunak says he wouldn't do that, but he'd offer targeted support for the poorest households. Truss still falling back on the tax cuts she's already proposed. So commentators around Westminster are saying that Sunak ought to reframe the debate, focus on energy because he's losing it when it comes to tax cuts, at least in the minds of the Tory grassroots who he's appealing to. But the other half of this is, 
many see the Bank of England as failing. You know, sentence has said the Bank of England's behind the curve. A big thing that Truss is proposing is to change the Bank of England's mandate or at least review it. The question is, would that actually help or would it just scare investors off gilts and sterling when we're in the middle of an inflation crisis? Marcus, I, I'm sure you have strong views on the Conservative leadership race. What do you think about the, the, you know, the prospect of re-evaluating the Bank of England's role? I, I think this is all just in, in the weeds at the moment. I mean, the, 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 to try and second guess what the mandate change, if, if there is one, is not actually very helpful. And I clearly uh, appreciate Andrew Bailey realising that and perhaps getting off his high horse and realising that a mandate review is just a, a very sensible thing to do when you've got a 2% target and you're already more than five times over it and heading higher. You know, no sane person would think that this current regime has, has worked as it should have done. They made the mistakes, it's about time they admitted them and then we can get on with sorting it out. But equally, we don't want to make, you know, two wrongs don't make a right here. We don't want to overreact and just keep on hiking um, because it will obliterate the economy. So I think there is some measure and importance in a calmer market. It's Lucy saying, like, not the right here right now, but at some point, along with the Bank of England, only these things only work if the Bank of England is 100% in agreement with what its mandate should be changed. They should be proposing. And that's the sort of idea I think that hopefully will come out of this. So I don't really worry too much about the, Bank of England mandate change, even indeed there will be one, um, because it's very confusing to change it to say like a nominal GDP or, or mm. money supply target. So I, I suspect there'll be just a tweak if anything at all. You are famously upbeat when it comes to the UK economy. I'm wondering, have you found a silver lining after, <laughs> uh, not, after these? I'm these just figures. not as pessimistic as everyone else, because I, I look across Europe and I see just as bad, if not worse, uh, both particularly on the economy, but equally on inflation. We're just in the same boat everyone else is. And there are some excellent things. You know, if you look at the labor data coming through, we have a very strong economy, a residual economy, a lot of people, everyone's in jobs. And that surely must be a good place to, if you want to go into recession, it's a good place to start from. So yeah, look, we're in a, in a difficult bind. I think everyone across the rest of the world is experiencing very similar things. What we were doing wrong in this country was fiscal tightening. And going back to Alice's question on, on the Conservative leadership race, I think we put that one to bed and uh, we've seen nothing but uh, reversal from Rishi Sunak, who is responsible for, for doing what I think was, was quite a mad, a mad bad thing. Whether or not we should be splurging is a different question altogether, but clearly we are going to get a lot more fiscal input and that is going to at least soften. You know, we, I had to chat with Dan Hansen, our UK economist. He reckons mm. about 60 billion is going to be needed to avoid recession. Well, I think we're going to get something close to that. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, 
and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The Conservative Party leadership candidates head to Northern Ireland today for their eighth hustings. Although the Tories don't have any elected representatives there, the candidates will be trying to win over party members in Belfast at a time when Northern Ireland remains at the centre of the UK's post-Brexit dispute with the EU. As Foreign Secretary Liz Truss put the bill to Parliament to override part of the Brexit deal relating to trade rules between Britain and Northern Ireland. Well, we're joined now by Matthew O'Toole, who's a member of the Northern Ireland Assembly for the Social Democratic and Labour Party for South Belfast and the leader of the opposition in the Assembly. Matthew, thank you very much for being with us on Bloomberg UK Politics. Um, what would you like to hear the candidates focusing on in today's hustings? Well, hi Stephen, thank you for having me. What I'd like to hear the candidates focus on is... Uh, first of all, getting our institutions in Northern Ireland back up and running, what part they would play as a UK leader of the UK government that they both aspire to be re- in terms of re-establishing our institutions, political stability in Northern Ireland, the principles of the Good Friday Agreement, and then what they're going to do for people in general to deal with this extraordinary cost of living emergency cliff edge that people, frankly, across the world are facing, but in the UK like everywhere else and indeed in Northern Ireland. But the problem is, Stephen, that I'm fairly sure they won't concentrate on those things because this Conservative leadership contest has been a bizarre and at times fairly uh, horrifying spectacle of uh, increasingly fantastical far-right identity politics, strange um, uh, uh, strange culture war fixations uh, that are nothing to do with the issues facing real people who are struggling, but also completely detached from uh, from the realities uh, in Northern Ireland. Well, I'm sure the candidates would also say that they have been talking about the cost of living crisis, at least one issue that is very important to everyone across the UK. I'm interested in, obviously Liz Truss is, is quite well known in Northern Ireland as Foreign Secretary. She's She's been there and she's spoken to political leaders uh, in Northern Ireland. Do you have a preference between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak? I mean, I think they're both bad, uh, just to be blunt about it, they're both bad options specifically for Northern Ireland. 
I think it's also important to say, Stephen, that one of the things that we've seen uh, in the last six or seven years uh, in British politics, specifically um, uh, in the, on the conservative right, and, of, and as we know, the right wing of English conservative politics has been what has um, dominated UK political discourse and UK political life over the last number of years, for a very long time, for, for a lot longer, specifically since Brexit. Um, the needs of Northern Ireland, which is a complex place, a post-conflict society with a unique set of arrangements. We now have a unique set of arrangements post-Brexit, uh, um, which are uh, about managing our relationship with the rest of Ireland, preventing a hard border in Ireland, but also um, uh, protecting the, the, the broader benefits of the Good Friday Agreement, have frankly been completely trashed by people like both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, who have prioritised English conservative fixations and frankly, hard right nationalist politics in England at the um, expense, particularly of people in Northern Ireland. I don't think they care about us at all. And I don't think most people in Northern Ireland think, whether they're unionist, nationalist, or, or, or none of the above, think they care about people here at all. Their uh, fixations are, are, are not ours, and their interests are not ours. So they will be coming tonight to speak to what is a fairly minuscule number of people who are members of the. Um, Conservative Party in Northern Ireland, and of course the Conservative Party itself in Northern Ireland has a, uh, an unbelievably tiny mandate uh, in this part of the world. They got about, uh, they got less than 300 votes at the Assembly election in May. And there are, I think at the last count, more member, registered members of the Conservative Party in Northern Ireland than there were people who voted for them. At the, that's, uh, in a sense, uh, in a democracy, quite an achievement to have more party members than you have votes in an election. Um, uh, but not a very, uh, not a particularly uh, good um, uh, achievement. But what it does spell out, I think, is how completely detached they are from uh, from the reality of of, of of people's concerns here. But also how little of a mandate they actually have for the extreme and damaging things they've been doing uh, to this place. I mean, nonetheless, one of them will be the next prime minister and will be taking the lead on those relationship with the EU and also efforts to restore the, the, the assembly in Northern Ireland. Do you think either of them could succeed in convincing the DUP to return to power sharing? Well, I hope they do. They do have power in this part of the world. I don't deny it Would that it were otherwise. Unfortunately, I think what we've seen over the last number of years, as I say, has been UK government's walking away ever more uh, recklessly from the principles of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, and in part, that's because of this mutant gene, which has taken hold specifically in English politics, which is Brexit. So we can't deny, it is relevant to point out how the UK state has changed, how its politics have changed, and how the incentives for uh, English conservative politics have changed as a result. But you are right to say that they, well, in, in their entry, will be re-establishing the institutions. Part of what that will mean will be proving to people that they can act as a responsible and um, fair dealer when it comes to Northern Ireland and its unique political institutions. Uh, unfortunately, neither of them have looked at all like that's what they want to do. They've continued to bang the drum of hostility to the European Union. They have continued to, um, uh, uh, to pursue this reckless protocol bill, which at the behest of uh, the DUP, and of course the DUP haven't even confirmed that if the, if the protocol bill, um, uh, uh, they will go back in to devolve government. Conservative governments having created this problem at the behest of the DUP seem fixated on making it worse. I hope that they do take the steps necessary to re-establish the institutions, but that doesn't mean simply um, doing what the DUP tell them, because 
the DUP are one party in Northern Ireland, but they don't represent everybody. And of course, most people here voted Remain. So they do need to prioritise uh, actually delivering for all the people of this um, uh, of this region. Unfortunately, I wish it were otherwise, but I don't have a huge amount of confidence that they will. Because as I say, um, the Conservative Party, the UK Conservative Party has this kind of strange mutant gene of toxic mm. nationalism and culture war politics has really taken hold in it, uh, particularly yeah. since 2016. Well, now you you worked in Downing Street at 2016 during the the Brexit referendum, and until 2017, it, do you have a sense that there are people there still? I'm talking about civil servants who have can advise the next prime minister in a way that will re- resonate with people in Northern Ireland on these complex issues. Well, there are still civil servants uh, who I, I think officials who understand that um, in order to. Um, get the best for people in Northern Ireland. This is a complex society that what you need is sincerity, seriousness, um, focused, consistent engagement from UK government ministers, a commitment to crucially the British-Irish relationship because Stephen, you know, the whole Good Friday settlement was based on, to use the phrase from the 1990s, all uh, listeners who were around then will remember the totality of relationships across these islands. That means the relationships inside Northern Ireland, relationships north and south on the island of Ireland, and relationships east and west between the islands of Britain and Ireland. And, and of course, Brexit has disrupted all of those relationships because the British-Irish relationship was made much easier on the basis of common EU membership. So as lots of people predicted, including myself, when I was still an official in Downing Street, once you disrupt those relationships, they're very difficult to put back together. My fear is that because conservative politics is so addicted to the kind of Brexit wars, and it's very difficult to get back to a place where you're committed to the kind of pluralist, multilateral engagement, focused engagement um, that um, that is necessary to make this uh, place work. Unfortunately, lots of us predicted this is what Brexit and hard Brexit would mean for British-Irish relations, Northern Ireland, uh, and so it has proven. And so I hope that the new Conservative Prime Minister, though I won't be supporting them politically, I represent uh, a left of centre uh, pro-Irish unity party, so we aren't on the same page in any, in any case, but I do want to see a Conservative Prime Minister who is at, at least, con, you know, in some to some extent committed to, 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 to constructive politics and making this place work. But I fear uh, at the minute that we're not seeing that. Um, but certainly we will engage with them, encourage them uh, uh, to, to engage properly. But we're not going to be anything other than robust in holding them to account, including over the protocol bill, this bill mm. that, that they're using to, to, to disrupt the Northern Ireland protocol. You wouldn't know it if you listened to the debate in London sometimes, Stephen, but most people in Northern Ireland, according to all the polling data, support the protocol. A majority of MLAs who were, were returned, at the, the Assembly members were returned at the election in May, who support implementing the protocol. All major business groups want us to retain access to the EU single market. We're seeing the damage that it's doing to the UK, the GB economy in England, Scotland, Wales to have lost that access. We have a bit of access to the single market for goods. We need to keep hold of it. We're doing better in some ways. Some of the data shows um, than other parts of the UK economy. So we want to protect those yeah. uh, benefits. And that's something that we've heard from both business groups and politicians on this programme before as well. But I'm wondering, you talked about that importance of, of relationships uh, in the British-Irish relationship in particular. Does the department departure of Boris Johnson allow space, perhaps for a renewal, perhaps there'll be a question of reality of, of leadership to whoever is the next Prime Minister to to change the direction of those relationships? I'm, I'm, one, I'm, look, I'm searching for a note of optimism in this. Uh. Well, look, I hope so. I think there's all. It's always important to be, to try and be, uh, to, to 
to be hopeful and to try and uh, to find a way through these difficulties. And you know, huge things have been achieved in the um, British-Irish relationship over the past quarter century. Unfortunately, um, the hard truth is that the thing that's undermined the most is Brexit and bre hard Brexit specifically. And Brexit is now such a core part of the identity of the Conservative Party that it does make it mm. difficult. But certainly, you know, any change, I suppose, is theoretically an opportunity to renew um, uh, commitments to multilateralism. Uh, and I would encourage whoever wins this um, uh, election to do that. I have to say I'm not uh, optimistic that they will. I, I, I do want to be uh, and so I, it would I would be um, it would be deceptive for me to come on and pretend that I think it's it's going to be okay. Uh, but I hope they do. I certainly hope they do, and we will be encouraging them to, and we will be uh, engaging with them to that end. And I know the EU wants that too. I know the Irish government certainly wants it, and I think ultimately that should be in everybody's interests, not rather than pursuing just a, t a tired continual fight uh, with the EU uh, and 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 bluntly. Okay. Uh, profiting from destabilisation in Northern Ireland, which Boris Johnson's government sought to do. Okay, Matthew O'Toole from the SDLP in Northern Ireland, the leader of the opposition in the Assembly there. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.